Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. Don't you just love unsolicited advice? Yeah? Uh, you all came here today, so you get it. <laughs> you solicited it, so I'm going to give it to you. No. Don't you just love how different and weird and silly people are with the things they say or the things they do? A lot of times the things they think that come out of their mouth, right? <laughs> people are just uncommon. They're just different than one another. And today we're going to dive into John 17 and, and look about how we're supposed to be uncommonly one and what that's supposed to look like. I, uh, I can tell you uh, the best way to get unsolicited advice is a couple things that I've learned. One great way to get unsolicited advice is to be overweight. <laughs> you get lots of unsolicited advice. It's great. <laughs> I've heard about it. Um, <laughs> another great way to get unsolicited advice is to have kids. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not, you're probably those people. <laughs> another great way to get unsolicited advice is uh, I've learned uh, home ownership. Uh, the people that come to your door... Uh, that aren't asking to borrow something, but they definitely want to give you some advice about the way you do things or how that goes, etc. And uh, another great way that I've personally learned how to get unsolicited advice is to have a family that doesn't look like a normal family. Example, like uh, I have two black children and two white kids, and that's a little uncommon. I, there's plenty of unsolicited advice or looks that comes from that. And I'm going to share you a couple of those just because it's funny and it's fun. In all reality, we can joke about it here. But people are just so different, right? We're just silly, weird people. And for some reason, somehow, we all come into a place, this eclectic melting pot of brokenness and messiness and its own beauty, uh, and it just happens. And God talks to us about this. I remember um, I was newer to Benicia and uh, got some unsolicited advice. Someone came to my door, knocked on the door, and you know, I answered the door, thought maybe I was going to meet a neighbor, and it was someone, I was really proud of him, it was somebody that, from a, another church that was coming to talk about and invite me to come to one of their church functions, which I was pumped about. I was like, man, this is great, there's people out there, they're bold, they're knocking on doors, I'm new to the neighborhood, inviting you to come be a part of a fellowship. It was really great, and I, you know, they don't know who I am, because uh, they go to a, another fellowship around uh, the area, and I don't know who they are, but I don't want to just be like, it's okay, cool, you know, you don't have to talk to me because I like work at a church. Uh, so you can't even talk to me because it just like, kills everything right away. So I'd rather get to know people. Um, and so I was talking to him. So then I just briefly mentioned like, oh, yeah, I've been checking out this place called Northgate. <laughs> Unsolicited advice. Here we come. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, like the comment was like, oh, yeah, you've been checking out. You, got, you should really come check out our place because that church doesn't teach the Bible. They're not a Bible teaching church. And I wasn't mad at that moment. My heart was broken because I was like, gosh, why are we so uncommon, especially in a moment, in a place, in a space, talking about something that we actually have in common. Why do we create differences in space, in race, in culture? I uh, have experienced lots of unsolicited uh, advice, and my wife has experienced it because our family have a 10-year-old. She looks a lot like her mom. Um, She's beautiful. I have an um, 8-year-old. We uh, adopted him from Ethiopia, Ethiopia, Africa. Uh, he's a beautiful young man. We got him just over eight years ago. Uh, and uh, then I have a five-year-old, and uh, she's beautiful. She uh, has a lot of my personality, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, she, in her goofiness. 
Uh, and then we have a two-year-old um, that's African-American and Vietnamese. And so we had this beautifully diverse, eclectic, little messy, beautiful family. And I love it. And um, some of my favorite moments of unsolicited, awkward, different advice from people are standing, my wife, you know, at Costco or the grocery store, and someone making a comment and be like, wow, that's so cool, you're taking your, your child care on like a field trip. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like that. We got four kids, so I mean, it is, it's chaos. Um, but we do, we say weird things and we're just different, right? Um, I never imagined... Uh, I, I'd, I'd hear the things I hear and how different we are to each other and sometimes how broken we are to each other when I'm having to have a conversation with my eight-year-old son uh, about how he couldn't play on the playground because another kid told him he wasn't allowed to because his skin was poopy-colored. That, didn't, that doesn't work. And so it's like, but it's because we're different. But why are we different? What's different about us? What do we have in common is what we really need to figure out. Uh, and I could go on and on about, and you could go on and on about the silly, weird, uncommon things about each other. But what I love about this place, what I love about Northgate, and what my hope and dream and prayer for this faith community here is that we would be a people that was represented, that was head-turning, jaw-dropping, never would have imagined association. That we could be beautiful and messy in our differences. But people would turn their heads, drop their jaw. I would have never imagined you two would actually Northgate Christian fellowship together. This uncommonly one theme. Now, what is it that we have in common? I'm going to get right there. It's just Jesus. That's what all of us have in common. That's where we meet. We have this thing called Jesus in common. And we do this thing uh, where we try to be a Christian or Christ-like or strive to be like Jesus. And it's in our actions. And it's the way that we treat one another. And it's the way uh, that we talk to one another. And the beautiful thing about Jesus when you're acting like or trying to act like Jesus is you treat people um, like they've never been treated before. See, Jesus liked people who were nothing like him and they liked him back. He drew on people like a light, uh, like a fly to a light or a bug to a light that were nothing like them, like him, and, but they liked him. They loved him. They wanted to be around them because he loved them back. He was nothing like the people around them. He gave extraordinary honor at this time and this age to women. He did a favor for a centurion, which was, uh, it was against the rules as a rule breaker when suddenly he's in a political space and dealing with someone um, that's a part of the empire there. He stopped his message uh, many times in the middle of talking for children, right? It's just something to do. It's uh, the example would begin to in here if a kid started crying instead of someone tapping you on the shoulder saying, they have a kid's area, you should go. Instead he said, hold up, that's a kid, I love children. He was just different. Right? It was uncommon to what our common reaction often is. And uh, he associated with a group of people like taxpayers. Taxpayers were mentioned a lot in the Bible um, that were actually uh, a, a different category than even sinners. Sinners didn't even want to associate themselves with tax gatherers because the way of life and their job that they participated in, and so they separated themselves. And Jesus went after uh, tax gatherers. He went after Levi, Matthew, and wanted to be in his home. And the disciples were like, we don't hang out with those people. They're different. They're like bad people. The community sees them as something different and not like us and not a good behaving person, a sinner, a bad uh, person in this space. 
And he says, well, we're going to hang out with him. And not only that, we're going to go sit at his table, and we're going to go in his home, and we're going to share a meal together. And we just have to ask ourselves, what was this thing that they had so in common that we were able to break down and just be different people in spaces, our culture, our races, our sizes, and be uncommonly one? And the question is, what did Jesus pray for? I asked myself that. What did Jesus actually pray for? Is this something he wanted? And the answer comes to us in John 17. And this first point, fill in this idea, is that we were meant to be uncommonly one. God made you, you, independent, individual, special, no one else in the world like you. But yet, we were meant to be uncommonly one. He actually prayed for it. So he was uh, getting to the end of his ministry. He was actually getting ready to be arrested, um, put up onto a cross, And uh, he was praying for his disciples at that time, this group of them, and empowering them and praying about them and over them. And then he shifted, and this is where we pick up, because he's actually then now praying about us. It says, my prayer, he says to them, is not for them alone, them being the disciples who are there in that place and time at that moment. My prayer isn't just for the people I'm with right now, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Those is us. Those is me and you. So ahead of time, he's saying, hey, I'm not just praying for what's going on here. I'm going to be praying ahead because people are going to hear and know and understand and have an uncommon relationship and be uncommonly one with me. And I want to pray for them. And it continues, that all of them may be one. This is Jesus' prayer for us. That them, all of them, us, me and you in the future, our grandparents behind us, may be one. Father, as he's praying, just as you are in me and I am in you. He prays for oneness right now. He knows how different we are and how different we're going to be and how difficult this is going to be. He continues on and says, may they, that's us, also be in us so that... This is where in the Greek language, this is called a hinoclos, which is this transitional thing of like, okay, now I'm going to give you purpose for this. It's basically like the purpose statement that's coming. So we see, may they also be in us so that, this is the reason, the world may believe that you have sent me. So there's reason. He knows how big of a deal this is. My prayer is that we would be uncommonly one, this oneness, because I know the impact it's going to make on the world. That the world may believe that you sent me because of the way that they treat one another because they have something in common. Right now, evangelism hangs and hinges on our ability to get over our petty differences. This is where it's at. The implication of this is if we don't get this right, if we can't be uncommonly one and treat one another the way that we're supposed to treat one another and still be different and special in our own way, that if we don't get that right, it doesn't really matter what else we're doing. You can't say like, oh, I'm going to church and I'm serving other people, but yet I'm angry or I'm mad or I hate that other person. It's that important. He says, I don't care what you're doing. You could do all kinds of cool things. But are you one? That's the important piece of this. It's then, this is another hint of clause now that's going to close out and bring this all together. Then the world will know This is the result, that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
Then, because them, because they're acting as one, because they're uncommonly one group of people, they'll know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, this is so critical, um, this unity. Unity is mission critical to who we are and what we've been called to and the way that we live. doesn't matter the things that this is. We've got to get this one piece so right. And so Jesus had this prayer, and then he branded it. He was getting ready to leave uh, from there, and he left them with this one last piece uh, to brand this thing because he knew that this new ecclesia was about to begin. This new movement was about to start, that this relationship that we have with God was going to be different, that what was going to be so uncommon is that we were going to be able to be one with God. And so he gives this new commandment. He goes, I give you a new command. Love one another. Now, this isn't a new idea. Love one another. We all do that. We love one another how we want to be loved back. We're good at that. You love me. I love you back the same. I love you. I expect you to love me the way that I've loved you. But here's the new thing that he says. You must love one another just as I have loved you. Not as somebody else has loved you. Not how you want to love them. But as God has loved you, that's how you should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The implications here are great. And we're seeing that in the world that we're living in right now in this moment. Are we one or are we divided? Who do we look to for hope? They struggled with it a lot back then, this whole idea. Jesus prayed for it. Then he broke it down and said, here's the gig. You need to love one another, not like you think, but like I've loved you, which was this radical new plan and idea because we're just not good at it. And then this guy named Paul came along to help this movement go along. And people still struggled with what does that look like? Like, what does that mean to love somebody else? Like God's loved me. Like, I need you to, to, to help me figure this out. And so he started teasing it out. And so he tells us, Paul does, that loving one another like God has loved you These are the things he's done for you and you should do for one another. You need to forgive one another, encourage one another, restore one another, care for one another, submit to one another, carry on one another's burdens, bear with one another. You need to one another, one another. Because everyone has always wanted to be one another. Can you imagine, can you imagine our community... Can you imagine our communities where people were skeptical of what we believed, but envious of how well we treated one another? I mean, I could just leave right now. Just look at that. What, what would this community look like? What would your household look like? What would your place of work look like? Where people could be skeptical about what you believed, but envious of how well you treated one another. Because here's the thing, friends. Everyone wants to be one another. Everyone does. Everyone wants to be forgiven. You want to be forgiven. Everybody needs to be restored. Everybody needs to be encouraged. Everybody needs to have someone else that's willing to carry their burdens with them as they walk through a difficult time in life. To bear with one another. To speak truth but in love. And know that you're okay and they want the best for you. Everybody wants to be one another and imagine what that would look like and the reason that this is so difficult is because uncommon as we are really equals uncomfortable (laughs) so our response we're just confused about how we live and how we can live 
as one. What we need to do is recognize our diversity, but not criticize our differences. That's what's so uncomfortable, is recognizing our diversity, but not criticizing our differences. We screwed up a lot. Like, I know this. uh, Have you ever heard this one? Because I know you've never said it. Um, I don't want to offend you, but... (laughs) Just, like, don't even talk. Just stop yourself. Be like, don't. (laughs) We need to recognize our diversity, but don't criticize our differences. Uh, The uh, early church and the early disciples struggled with this. About 15 years after this movement has started, and it's taken off like an airborne disease... um, Uh, The disciples were um, preaching still in Jerusalem. Paul is out uh, around that region um, building up churches, starting new churches. People are understanding who Jesus is and that they can have this fellowship with God himself. And that it's, this is through love. And they're saying, you know, one another, you got to love, love one another. He's one another to you. You need one another back. It's all about being one. And 15 years later, they struggled with this idea because they knew how difficult it was. It was, we find in Acts, Peter the guy who has uh, started this church, who Jesus said, I'm going to build my ecclesia, that my church on you is still struggling with this idea of what this looks like, of including people that are uncommon from you. And uh, he's invited to this guy's house named Cornelius. And Cornelius is a Gentile and has a bunch of people that are coming over to his house to like hang out and have a pool party and listen to Peter come, uh, and he's going to give them a message. And Peter doesn't want to go because they're Gentiles. Fifteen years later, after Jesus was resurrected, he's still struggling with the idea of who's allowed in. Am I allowed to break down this wall? And do we have this one thing, Jesus, in common, even though you're different? You grew up different. You look different. You act different. And if it wasn't for what God did in this moment, you and I may never even be here right now, unless you're Jewish. We're all all the Gentiles. So Peter's asked to go and speak at this house, and he's really struggling with this idea of I can't go into their house, into the house of Gentiles, and talk to them about who Jesus is. And he's fighting himself. I can't even imagine this idea of like, oh my gosh, I'm going over here. And eventually he makes his way in the house, and he starts off with some of the worst things you ever want to say when you're in someone else's home. He starts off by saying, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. So he starts it off by just telling them, you know I'm breaking the rules and you're not a good peoples. That's basically exactly what he said. Then he does something even worse. I think he sticks his foot in his mouth as they're all sitting there going, what? Who is this guy? He says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. <laughs> That's like literally, look, this is exactly what he did. It's like the, I don't want to offend you, but... Uh, I have been calling you, and I think that you're impure and unclean, but like just now, (laughs) God showed me that I shouldn't keep doing that, because that's exactly what I've been doing. (laughs) Then he began to speak. Now I realize, like now, in this moment, (laughs) like just now I realized how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts everyone from every nation who fears him and does what is right. That's like the game changers of the shift. And everyone who was even there, the people who were writing it, were astonished. Like, wait, 15 years. Like, what? Wait, Peter. Everyone gets to be a part of this? These people we have nothing in common with that we feel like we're distanced from? 
God doesn't show favoritism, he realizes now, he just finally understood in that moment what Jesus was praying for. As he remembers back and says, this is the oneness you were talking about. That God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, color, race, culture, who fears him and does what is right. That's like a game changer. That's where this shift happens. And then he goes on and continues to give this message. He doesn't even get to finish it because the Holy Spirit comes there and does some really cool, crazy things. So that's 15 years after um, Jesus died. So about 20 years, five years later, they're still struggling with this issue. Paul's been going around and reaching communities just like this one and reaching out to Gentiles. These churches are growing. They're flowing. And people back at the homeland, the, the, you know, the mother church, are struggling with this idea of like, wait, we're going to continue to let people be a part of our group that aren't like us, these Gentiles, and we're not going to make them become Jewish first, like us first, to be like in this club. And they had what's called the Jewish council. Peter was part of it. James, Jesus, his brother, was a part of it. They brought Paul in. And they had to deal with, and they had to sit in this space where they had to discuss, are we really going to hold these new people under the same law that we were held under? Or is 20 years later, is it actually what Jesus talked about where it's this shift where this uncommonly one group of people have what in common uh, together, which is God, and that we get to have a relationship with them, and there's grace. And essentially, unhitches to a degree that which was over them and doesn't make them follow and land under these laws of Moses, but uncommonly and commonly in one with Jesus. Because you see, you see, at just the right time, when we, that's me and you, were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Raise your hand if you've ever been powerless or you've acted in an ungodly manner. Raise your hand real quick. should be like everyone, seriously. <laughs> Hold on, keep your hands up real quick. Now look around. That's what you have in common. That's what we have in common with each other. You see, just at the right time, when we... We're still powerless. It's what we have in common with one another. Christ died for us. That's what we have in common. That we're powerless, we're ungodly, and Christ died for us. And so, what we need to do to be one is the last point we need to focus on working on building up instead of tearing down. Work on building up instead of tearing down. I'm going to tell you this. For uh, those of you uh, who struggle with this, if your theology separates you from sinners like you, you have some work to do. (laughs) That's what we need to be one with, is Jesus. If you're frustrated because we don't use the King James Bible here, because that's the real word of God, (laughs) and not something else, you, you need to work through that. If you struggle here because there's people, a part of this community, um, that have sin that continue to do goofy things, that continue to break covenant with God, but still crawl back into this place and space that maybe grew up under a different religion, maybe didn't have one, and we're this funky, eclectic melting pot of people, and that bugs you, you have some work to do. We have this thing in common, and we need to build it up instead of tear it down. Building up is so important, and I really believe in my heart it has a lot to do with reconciliation, constantly. Constantly reconciling yourself and repenting to God, 
and getting right with him and constantly reconciling with other people who we haven't been reconciled with. And John, the elder, talks about it in one of his later letters to specifically one specific group of people, brothers and sisters, not outsiders, but people who are already part of this uh, Jesus movement that are Jesus followers. And he says to them in 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. (laughs) Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister, is angry at them, is frustrated, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. The reason we struggle with that a lot of times is because we want to be right. And the difficult part is Jesus didn't pray for our rightness. He prayed for our oneness. It says in uh, Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Therefore, if if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift to me. It's that important, he's saying. Hey, church is going to be there next week. If you come here and then realize I've got some divisiveness, some distance from somebody else, and this is Jesus preaching in his Beatitudes about our anger and hate, what this looks like, if you've realized that you have a broken relationship, leave. Leave. Don't even be here. Like, crawl over people in their seats and go and fix it and become one again. Oneness is that important. And then come back next week because we're going to be here. (laughs) But your heart is going to be where it needs to be. You're going to be one in an uncommon place. So for some of us, that's our application this week. Some of us need to be a part... um, of a reconciled moment. Some of us need to be a part of a reconciled moment with someone in our family, with someone in this church, with someone at your work. Some of us need to be reconciled with God. And so that's why I, I ask you, God has been stirring this in me, that maybe that's your response today, in this week, that you'd be given boldness to do that. Some of us, you see... At just the right time, when you were still powerless, you're realizing right now that God died for you, the powerless and ungodly. And some of you, your response today is to become one with him. Because that's the most uncommon relationship of all, that you get to have a relationship with Jesus and be one. (laughs) That's crazy. Some of you, the best way to live and develop uh, oneness with one another is to get into a community group. Talk about a crazy group of people that come from all different places in life, but truly becomes one. And for some of you, will make some of the best friends you've had in your life that truly do life with you just as God knew you would as you become one. Or some of you getting into another group of people through like a Northgate U class and sitting in with another group of people and, and wrestling and studying over with God's word or with hurt or with brokenness or with our finances or with divorce or uh, with our mental illnesses, all those different things that we have out there. That's a beautifully way to come one 
with uncommon people with Jesus. Would you stand? God, thanks for loving our mess. God, thank you for making us uniquely who we are in your image. (laughs) So we may truly be one with you. God, thank you for praying ahead of us, for us, because you know how silly we are, how broken we are, how messed up we are. And God, I pray in this space that you would just be open as we reconcile ourselves to you and we repent to you of our our nonsense, of our sin, the things that have separated us from you, how we've treated ourselves that separated us from you, how we've treated other people that separated us from you. God, would you heal brokenness in this place through reconciliation today? God, would you give boldness and strength to those who will reconcile with others throughout this week? as your spirit stirs in them and pushes them. And God willing, for some of us, breaks us to create something new. And Father, those of you, those those of us who, who need you today, maybe for the first time, as we realize that we're powerless, we're ungodly, but you died that we may be one with you. That you don't show favoritism that you seek after us constantly. If you're here today with everyone's heads bowed and that's you, that for the first time needs to be one with Jesus in a way that's been alive like never before, to be broken of the things that break you, to be one with a God who wants to carry you, forgive you, restore you, redeem you, bear with you. I'm going to invite you to make that decision today. He, he says, if, if that's you, you just seek and ask that you would say it with your heart, with your mouth, and even your hand. So if you're here today with everyone's heads bowed and you want to make that first time decision to be one with Christ and invite him into your life, and I ask that you just look up at me and raise your hand so I can acknowledge you, I can celebrate with you, I can pray for you. Yep, I got you right there. have to break us so we can become one with you. (laughs) Mold us. You know us best. Lord, I celebrate with those who just made a decision today. May they be just released. God, may they turn from those other things and become one with you and one with another. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.